0: Welcome to Nightlight. Now, we left off last time uh, with me promising you <laughs> some good news. I ran out of time last month. I'll tell you, I know you all realize this, but it's becoming increasingly difficult to, to keep up with even a tiny portion of what we are trying to communicate when it's only month to month. Uh, we are... Thankfully, in the process of getting the new website up, they tell me that it should be up and running within a couple of weeks, which I hope will be just a few days after you get this message. Uh, and that's going to help, because we will be able to put things on the website uh, more readily, obviously. But that's not going to do away with this month-to-month message, of course, and there's lots of Folks out there who listen to this message, who are not interested in instant information, they are interested in hearing a word from God, and they're not looking for a a, a, a microwave uh, plastic wrapped ready-made uh, piece of information that they can zap electronically. They're they're hoping to hear something that was born by the Holy Spirit and placed in my heart and help, uh, that I might be able to communicate it to their hearts, uh, and they're hoping it'll be from, really be from the Lord. I'm not saying the Lord can't speak through fast electronic stuff, you know, but, you see, our problem is not how fast we get information. Obviously, that's almost the, uh, that is part of the problem. There's too much information pouring in. You can't process all of it. That's the problem that our security system has in uh, uh, the West. We are so overburdened with information pouring in that thousands and thousands of hours of manpower has to be spent in sorting through electronic stacks of meaningless garbage. And while uh, while so much is pouring in, a lot of important things can sneak through the cracks. It's the sneaking through the cracks issue that I want to talk about today. Uh, Ezekiel speaks of it as the gap. Uh, a gap is obviously a hole. It's a passageway. It's a breach it's a break in the fence, and when you consider all of the breaches in the fence of, of our present world, uh, from the borders to uh, the breaches in security inside the country to the breaches in uh, responsibility in government to the breaches in relationships, uh, there's lots of broken places, lots of cracks. Now, you know, Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh and tell them one message, uh, 40 days and you're dead. And you know the story of Jonah, that he actually ran the opposite direction. The reason he ran the opposite direction is because he hated the Ninevites and wanted them to die. He He did not want them to repent. Uh, He wanted them to receive the judgment, so he ran the other direction. Uh, God's pretty severe with him because uh, of the attitude. I mean, Jonah uh, was hoping for destruction to come. I want to tell you something. If there's ever been a time in my life that I would like to be wrong about my sense of urgency, uh, in some ways it would be now. I say in some ways because I've said this repeatedly forgive me if you're tired of hearing it but I'm much more afraid of no judgment coming than I am of judgment coming not that I'm hoping for judgment to come I'm not I'm not like Jonah in the sense that I want bad things to happen because I don't like people and I want them to get hurt uh, you know, Jonah understood something about the heart of God that I don't know how many Christians understand. You know the story. You read it. We won't take the time to turn to it, but you, you God, God confronts Jonah after he has convinced Jonah that he better obey. And, and Jonah says to him, I, I knew if I prophesied to these people and, uh, they repented that, Knowing you, you would have mercy on them. Uh, I don't know how many of us need to learn that about God. We think God enjoys judgment. We think God enjoys chastisement. We think God enjoys scaring the hell out of people. Well, the only thing he enjoys is when hell is out of us but it's not, the, it's not his pleasure to, to hurt people or to frighten people. Lamentations 3 says God does not take pleasure. In, uh, Ezekiel says God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. Lamentations 3 says God does not willingly afflict the children of men. And Jonah says to God, I, I knew if I told these people and they repented that you would have mercy on them because I know how you are. You are a God of mercy who does not desire to send judgment and will always extend mercy where there's where there's repentance. And and God says back to Jonah, you know, couldn't you have compassion? If, not, if nothing else, couldn't you have compassion on the many people in this city who can't tell their right hand from their left? I suppose he's referring there to the children. Or to the animals? He said, don't you even care about the animals? Don't you have compassion? You you see, God's heart is, I want to redeem from evil. But if I don't judge evil, then, then I would be evil myself. And God is holy. But God also wants to bring mercy and healing. I'm saying all that to say this, folks. When I sound the alarm, when I sound the warning, uh, yeah, maybe it's shrill. Maybe it's uh, over the top to some people. But you know what? A siren is shrill and over the top because it its very nature is to call people out of the normal thought processes that make them think everything's okay. That's why a, a, a siren is shrill. It's shrill because it Demands response now. A baby's cry is irritating and shrill because it, God intended it to be so that it will call us out of our selfishness and act on behalf of the baby. So when I tell you that I believe we are on the precipice of grave, grave danger, and that seems to sound shrill to some people, so be it. If the shrillness will call us out of our passivity, our indifference, our entertainment. You know, they say that uh, that one of the best stocks to invest in right now is Netflix because people are running to entertainment like never before to try to avoid the, the pain and frustration and difficulties of the world around them. Same thing happened in Weimar, Germany. Uh, when uh, the economy was collapsing and everything was falling apart, people uh, went to the speakeasies and the burlesque shows uh, to find some way to avoid reality. The shrill sound of prophetic warning is meant to make you uncomfortable. And if it makes you frustrated that you've been made uncomfortable, it means that you are doubly deaf. Deaf. But if you heed the warning and respond to it and ask the Holy Spirit, what is the meaning of this shrillness? What is the meaning of my reaction to it? What is it that you're trying to get through to me to do? Then uh, then you're, you're in a safe place. You're in a good place. Uh, I want to say, too, I, I'm grateful for the number of letters and responses I got from people who... Uh, thanked me for encouraging p- you and, and people in general to begin to make some preparations for what could be uh, some difficult times materially. Uh, putting back food, putting back emergency uh, supplies various so- uh, of sor- sorts. Now, I want to say clearly, though, I'm not saying to do that out of fear. I'm not saying to do that out of anxiety. Uh, I'm saying to do that out of what I think is just spiritual common sense. But if you're the type person who really gets into stockpiling and being motivated by anxiety and fear and you'll, you tend to, to like bad news because it gives you a, it gives you a place to focus all your nervous energy and you start do, you know, stockpiling out of that kind of spirit, then you need to stop. You need to completely maybe go the other direction. I'm not telling you to stockpile because God is not faithful and you better take care of yourself. What good is that? Um, I'm just saying, based on the common sense issues that we've already discussed, that it's a wise thing to prepare for potential danger up ahead. But I'm not doing it out of fear, and I'm not doing it out of anxiety, and I'm not doing it out of unbelief, uh, you know. Noah didn't sit back and say, well, you know, I believe the word of God is true, so I'm not going to build that boat. I'm just going to trust the Lord uh, to take care of me when the flood comes. You can't trust the word of the Lord if you don't obey it. Trust and obey. So whatever the Holy Spirit's saying to you, do that. But make sure you're not operating in anxiety or unbelief or fear. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear but love power and a sound mind and a sound mind is a mind that's informed by godly common sense anyway here's the deal the gaps in our culture the gaps on the border the gaps in our financial structures the gaps in the government the gaps in people's relationships these are our uh, cavities they're they're like dental cavities they are Holes eaten into the fiber of what was once healthy tissue, and uh the prophet Ezekiel uh, speaks in chapter twenty two verse thirty uh, the Lord says through Ezekiel, I sought for a man, and obviously a man or a woman. I sought for a representative of Adam's race.' I sought for a man or a woman who would stand in the gap and make up the hedge. Now, stand in the gap is one thing. Make up the hedge is another thing. Stand in the gap is your finger in the dike. Make up the hedge is plugging up the dike permanently. Standing in the gap has to do with uh, standing in a place of intercession, asking that the just judgment that should come be held back because redemptive purposes are being invoked. And the reason that God says, I sought for a man among them, a representative of, of the people under judgment, who would who would stand in the gap. He would become one who makes himself a bridge, a priest, an intercessor. That's what a priest is, an intercessor is, a uh, He's one who speaks to men on behalf of God, speaks to God on behalf of men. And because nobody is paying any attention, nobody cares what God's opinion is of the situation. Nobody cares what the just judgment is about to be. That that, 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 that judgment is irre, irreversible, uh, irrefutable it's coming it's intrepid it is as it is as certain as mathematics that if you disregard these truths eventually there will be a natural ramification that will uh, always be true you know you step off a building you're going to fall it's just it's just facts unless something intercepts intercedes comes underneath bears up Something greater than the law of gravity has to come into play that steps in. That's what an intercessor is. Uh, An intercessor is not a magician who cancels the moral law in order for uh, good to come when evil should have come. That's not what intercession is. Intercession is the invoking of a higher law that supersedes the previous law. The law that brings judgment, the the law that brings destruction, is an irrevocable, irrefutable law, but it's not a law that cannot be overcome by a greater law. And Romans chapter 8 says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. See, it doesn't say that the law of sin and death doesn't work anymore. It says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set me free from the law of sin and death. So that's the same principle that's at work here in Ezekiel 23. <clears throat> the Lord says, I'm looking for a man. You know, First Chronicles 16, verse 9 says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for someone <clears throat> through whom God can show himself strong. This, this word strong is the same word that, that in the Greek text it, it would it would be the same word for uh, energy or power or miracles God is looking for someone <clears throat> through whom he can manifest his his power on behalf of the situation that has no goodness in it no power in it no 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 grace in it the reason <clears throat> The reason God finally brings judgment is when there's not anybody left in the situation that can inv- invoke his grace and power. Nobody is present in the situation to to ask for, for grace to come in and redeem it. It becomes unredeemable then. See, it becomes unfixable. Uh, Sodom was was in that category until God revealed to Abraham what was about to happen, and then Abraham caught on, and he he recognized that he was to stand in the gap, and he began to do that, stand in the gap. But see, it takes more than just standing in the gap. Um, Standing in the gap holds the judgment back. Abraham held the judgment back for as long as he was able to stand in the gap. But there was nobody in Sodom that would go beyond standing in the gap and begin to make up the hedge, make up the hedge has to do not just with holding back the judgment but restoring righteousness it's not a just, it's not enough to hold back judgment there, there have been intercessors in America we've 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 been standing in the gap for America for years now and i think judgment has been held back and held back and held back but now we are seeing the the gap uh, is widening and and the cracks are getting Greater, And the infusion of evil uh, is, as we've already pointed out in, in previous messages, getting worse. What are we to do? Well, we're to continue to stand in the gap. But we're also to begin to, to, to make up the hedge. And that has to do with something I'll talk about more in, in just a few minutes. But standing in the gap has to do with pleading the, the cause of God on behalf of those people. Uh, It's not pleading the people's cause. The people's cause is is unrighteous. Uh, You don't plead their cause. They don't have a cause. But you're pleading God's heart. It's like what Moses did in Psalm 106, uh, where Moses, God's about to destroy the Israelites. And Moses stands in the gap and says, uh, you know, wipe me out instead. Well, he's praying in the power of Messiah. He's praying the heart of God. No human being would have in his own strength the power to pray such a prayer. But he prays that prayer in the power of, of Messiah, who is eventually going to fulfill that prayer by coming to the earth, taking on himself the destruction that was due to them and and receiving it in himself so that they could receive mercy. Now, when you pray for America or England, or Holland, or whatever nation you're part of that you're praying for. Maybe you're in America praying for England, or in England praying for America, or whatever. But when you're praying for a nation, you are pleading for the purposes of God to be brought forth in that nation. You're not not asking God to hold back judgment so we can keep fornicating and producing evil uh, movies and uh, desecrating other people's property and stealing and robbing and lying. You're not saying, God, oh, please hold back your judgment so we can go on blaspheming the name of the Lord and teaching children uh, uh, that uh, God is is uh, a myth and uh, man is the center of all things. Obviously, that's not what we're praying for. So when we're standing in the gap, we're asking for God's, just judgment to be possibly redemptive, like like a, a Habakkuk, like Isaiah, uh, and other of the prophets, when they said, "Lord, in judgment remember mercy; in judgment remember mercy." So, in the midst of that standing in the gap, we are asking that the judgment be either held back or that it be. Redemptive, that it be not destructive, but that it might be redemptive. Uh, the word judgment in Hebrew, uh, is very closely related to the word deliver. That's why the, the book of Judges were, who were the judges? Well, they were the deliverers. There, that's not to say there wasn't judgment in their message. You remember when Samuel comes to, uh, to sacrifice uh he comes into the the city and and they meet him and, and they say are you coming in peace or are you, do you come in judgment they were afraid when he came because they knew he may come with a word of rebuke or a word of destruction or a word of encouragement so the judges were the deliverers they delivered the word of the lord and that delivered the people from whatever evil they were under or They delivered the word of judgment, and uh, the judgment came. But when we're standing in the gap and we're pleading for God's just judgment to come, what we're pleading for is for God's justice and goodness and righteousness to come. The word righteousness means, among other things in the Hebrew mindset, deliverance, rescue. Putting things right that are wrong. Righteousness means the cavalry's coming and uh, the injustice is about to be set right. Uh, you know, hope is coming. Help is coming. Justice is coming. If you would ask for God's righteousness to be rained on America today, you would be asking not for God to just hold his nose and overlook our evil, but for God to set in motion circumstances that will bring right outcomes, proper, good, life-giving, just, righteous outcomes. So when we stand in the gap, we're praying for God to shake whatever he's shaking unto redemption. Redemption. Not destruction. This is why I've said it over and over until maybe some of you are tired of hearing it. God is interested in redemption and and deliverance. And I am grateful that we are now finally beginning to see things shaking that seemed unshakable. I mean, they seemed like uh, unmovable, uh, unrepentant, defiant strongholds of arrogance and now they're they're beginning to shake and the shaking's just begun i don't know how far the shaking will go uh i don't know how much uh will have to be uh b- broken before there's real change potential change or, or real change uh but i'm i'm welcoming the shaking and uh some of you might be saying, well, I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm not welcoming it. I'm frightened by it. Let me tell you, the only thing you should be frightened of is that God would let you stay in an unrepentant, deceptive, self-deceptive uh, mindset. There is nothing to fear in all of the universe except sin. You know, I don't fear men. I don't fear the IRS. I don't fear the government. I don't fear foreign enemies. I don't, I, you know, what I fear is my own ability to dishonor God, disobey God, and uh, get into self-deception. I, I fear that with a holy fear. And I ask the Lord uh, to keep me. Uh, under his mercy and grace and uh, I welcome his correction I welcome his rebuke it's not pleasant when it happens but like the Bible says no chastisement is pleasant when it's happening but it eventually produces the fruit of righteousness which brings peace and uh in the midst of the most devastating shaking you can have peace if you have welcomed the correction of the Lord into your life. But if you just try to skirt the correction of the Lord and hide from it, so you can keep doing your thing your way, then when the when the shaking does come, that is coming, that is now already here and is just beginning, then you're going to be shaken with all the other things that shake. See, God says He'll shake everything that can be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken might remain. Well, what is it that cannot be shaken? His kingdom. So if I'm being shaken, it means there's something not of His kingdom in me that is being shaken. So i welcome the shaking so that I can repent of it and let Him cleanse it out of my life. See, does this make sense? So you embrace the shaking because it is preparing you to be unshakable. See, it seems paradoxical, but it makes perfect sense if you think about it. If I'm being shaken, it means there's something in me that needs to be cleansed out so that when the shaking continues, I'll eventually be unshakable. And we receive a kingdom, Hebrews 12 says, that cannot be shaken. So the shaking that you're going through right now in your private life may be directly related to the shaking that's taking place in the world, or it may be just something private in your own life, but whatever it is, if you're asking for God to purge you of everything that displeases him so that you can be unshakable, then you have nothing to fear. But fear the ability to hide from God by sticking your head in the world system and entertaining yourself into oblivion. Fear that. Ask the Holy Spirit to deliver you from that. Now, standing in the gap for a a culture, standing in the gap for a nation, standing in the gap for a family, standing in the gap for uh, God to hold back the judgment or for the judgment to be, be mitigated so that it is redemptive, that's where we are. But that's not enough. It's not enough that we stand in the gap. We have to make up the hedge. Uh, so in the time that we have remaining, I want to talk to you about what it means to not only hold the judgment back, pleading the sins, confessing the sins. You might say, well, Clay, you haven't explained really what it, what it means to stand in the gap. How do you do that when well, you confess the sins of the, of the nation? You confess the sins of the culture. If you want to learn how to do that, you read the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Daniel. All three of those books will give you a good model of what it means to stand in the gap. Daniel especially. Daniel prays for Judah as if the sins of Judah were his own sins. He says, "We have sinned against you," and yet we don't have any record of Daniel ever participating in the sins of Judah that had brought about Judah's destruction. He was a young, young teenager at best when uh, when he was taken into captivity. But he stands in the gap and identifies himself with the sins of his people, and makes himself see. I sought for a man among them. The intercessor sees himself as part of those who need intercession, who need to be interceded for. He doesn't stand in arrogance over them. He stands among them. And certainly, we all know, just because we're not necessarily participating in the evil that we are grieved over, doesn't mean we haven't in some way contributed to it, either by active participation in it in some form, or by our neglect of acting righteously that would have mitigated or even uh, overthrown the evil. So we make ourselves instruments of God's mercy either by holding back the judgment or by asking that the judgment that is coming be redemptive as much as possible. Now, making up the hedge has to do with not just holding back evil, but manifesting good. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against it, Isaiah 59 says. Now, this raising up of a standard is very much akin to making up the hedge. Uh, this has to do with also Isaiah 58, restoring the ancient waste places that have been broken down and building them back up. It has to do with rebuilding and re reestablishing good, not just holding back bad, but reestablishing good. And this is where the church quite often can fall into a trap of self-righteousness or cowardice, where we it's easy to stand in the gap If all you think that means is hide in a closet somewhere and pray, I'm not belittling people who hide in closets and pray. Please don't misunderstand me. But if your mindset is, I'll just hide here and pray and sit in a circle and bind the devil. But never get out into the fray where the actions of the enemy are destroying people's lives. Never get involved in in ministry to anybody uh because you're hiding in prayer. Say I mean there's a place in prayer where you I mean I know many intercessors who live their lives in such intense prayer that they don't have energy or time to be involved with people and I'm I'm respecting that. I'm not I'm not discounting that. But if you if you hide in prayer as a means of avoiding dealing with people on the battle line For instance, all you ever do is bind the devil over the city and get angry at the perverted pagans. But you never speak to them in the name of the Lord. You never go to minister to to them. You never reach your hand out to them. You don't act in uh, ways that would make up the hedge. Then uh, you're using prayer as a a cloak of uh, selfishness. And that's something that we can all be aware of, that we're all capable of falling into that. But the authority of the church, the people of God, I'm not talking about the building or some denomination, the authority of the people of God to be salt and light. Light, breaking the power of darkness. Salt, breaking the power of corruption. Talked about the gap being a a like a tooth decay, and salt being uh, a, a purgative, a cleanser. Uh, we are not just to curse the darkness. We're to shine into it. We're not just to lament the gap. We're to fill it. We fill the gap first as an intercessor, but then as a restorer of the breach. The the, the restorer, Isaiah 58, speaks of us as restoring. listen, The great danger that we always face, well, I don't care where you you are eschatologically, what you believe about the end times, what you believe about the rapture, pre, mid, post, wherever you land and all that, as long as we are here, we are to occupy, Jesus said. That word occupy means do business, carry on fruitful enterprise. That's what the word occupy means. It's not a military term. It's a business term in the Greek language, and it means to carry on fruitful enterprise. So in the midst of all this shaking that's going on, let me tell you that God expects me and you to be carrying on fruitful enterprises, whether it's business or ministry or the arts or uh, whatever God has gifted you to do. Anytime you hear a thought in your head that says, well, everything's getting bad, you better just Pull in your sails and hide, uh, and stop having any creativity and stop having any vision and stop having any sense of purpose or, uh, joy or anticipation for good. I can guarantee you, you're not hearing from the Holy Spirit. Uh, we, we are so well, Clay, how can you how can you believe both things? how can you have the dire dark warnings of the previous message and then say what you're saying? I'll tell you how because what's what what's terrifying for the world should cause us to rejoice in some ways Now don't take that too far. We don't ever rejoice at anybody's suffering. But I've already said this a dozen different ways, so I'm being redundant, forgive me. But I just, I don't know why I keep feeling like I need to say it and say it and say it, because I don't, maybe we're not getting it. I'm thankful that an economic system that has been so corrupt and so perverse and so centered on itself is being shaken. I'm thankful that the entertainment industry, so-called, when they, they, they include under that, that title pornography. You understand three to five billion dollars a year pours into the hands of those who would corrupt and destroy people's lives with that that practice. And ninety five percent of it comes from America, and ninety five percent of that comes from South uh, the Los Angeles area. But you understand that uh uh this shaking that's taking place is going to shake everything that can be shaken. But well, when God promises he's going to shake everything that can be shaken, do you realize that includes many, many, many of the things that we have considered our enemy? Things that, uh like I just named, it's going to be shaken. You think I don't rejoice in that? I'm grateful to God for that. Uh so a lot of my creature comforts might get shaken in the process. Yeah, you bet. I might have to. I might have to miss a few meals. Who knows? <clears throat> uh, I want to tell you. I, I think I can endure that. At the thought of of this system that has been so destructive, of the family, so destructive of marriages, so destructive of of people's individual lives, and souls, and eternal destinies, uh, is being shaken. So in, in the standing in the gap and making up the hedge, I not only pray for the evil to be shaken and destroyed, but then I pray for that money to be funneled into the hands of people who will serve the restoration of the family, the restoration of the, 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 the poor, restoration of of children whose lives have been destroyed. Lord, pour that financial activity, and power back into the hands of godly people who who will use it wisely and use it rightly. Um, so there's several categories. These are just a few categories that, that, that I want to turn our focus on with regard to making up the hedge. These are things that we're praying To emerge, we're praying for them to come into being, or to be strengthened. If they already exist, that they be strengthened. If they don't already already exist, that they will exist. That will uh, be uh, life giving. Okay, this is this is making up the hedge. This is restoring the ancient paths. This is reestablishing that which has fallen, uh, so that it can uh, manifest righteousness in the earth. First thing on my list would be a praying for an emerging prophetic church in the West. Denomination or non-denominational, I mean, that's not the issue. I don't care if it's non-denominational or Lutheran or Catholic or Baptist or Pentecostal. That's not the point. I pray that, that there will be a rising up of people who speak not from the left, not from the right, but from the throne of God. People who move in the power of the Holy Spirit, who exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, who who plead his shed blood on those they're ministering to, who call people to repentance. I mean, you, you understand as much as if you if you listen to me just a little bit and didn't hear the whole spectrum of what I address, you could sometimes hear me say things that sound like. My main concerns might be political, and I want to tell you they, they are not. My main concerns are not political. I am not interested in raising up the Republican Party or seeing the Democratic Party restored to its former glory or whatever. I could care less. I only address those subjects because what those people do directly affects the well-being and lives of the people Jesus died for, and the people that he, he shed his blood to deliver. And that's why the Bible teaches us, speaking of intercession, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that we are, first of all, Paul says, first of all, above everything else, we are to pray for those who are in government. Pray for them that the Holy Spirit will deal with them so that the church might live in peaceableness and honesty so that the gospel is not hindered. See, the only thing that matters to me is that people come under the kingship of Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I serve a king. I am born in the United States. I am a citizen of the United States. I love my country, but my primary, ultimate, total, first commitment is not to a president, or to a party, or even to a nation. It is to a, the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, our main goal, our main mission, is to extend the power of His rule, the authority of His rule, by, by seeing men and women come to Christ. By seeing people repent and come under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, under the the covenant blood protection of his kingship. And we do that one one soul at a time, one family at a time, one, one encounter at a time. And as we do that, we begin to see the kingdom coming. And then all this other stuff, see, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Remember what I told you a while ago, righteousness is. Then all these other things will be added. I mean, do you understand if everybody you know obeys Jesus, you wouldn't have to fight abortion. You wouldn't have to argue over homosexuality. You wouldn't have to fight over the economy. You may have differences of opinion of how godly economics should function. And believe it or not, there are people who are not totally sold on capitalism per se as the, the, the most equitable and righteous way to uh, care for the poor or care for people or function in an economy. But that's a whole other subject. I don't want to get into that, capitalism versus other concepts. Uh, the, the fact is, if everybody was right with the Lord, obviously there would be a whole lot of stuff we could spend our energies on that would be life-giving and fruitful and good. But a true uh, a true emerging church that is prophetic, that is obedient to God and that is manifesting Jesus' character in the earth by the way it treats uh, the people around it, which brings me to number two: We pray and we stand in the gap and we make up the hedge by crying out for justice to be extended, especially to the poor, the disenfranchised and the weak among us. Uh, The measure of a civilization is how it treats its weakest members. We murder ours uh, uh, out of convenience. Now we are planning to uh, make legislation go through that will make sure that the uh, refuse of their murdered bodies can be used to glorify science and to uh, further science just like what the nazis said same same mindset the the nazis had so we pray for uh those oh, the weakest among us to be to be met and for justice to be done that would include prisoners how many men and women are in prison you know do you realize there's more people in prison in america than in any nation on the earth do you, did you understand that that's how screwed up we are And of those, many of them are there just because they couldn't hire a shyster lawyer or pay off a crooked judge. Thank God for good lawyers. Thank God for good judges. uh, But they are few and far between. Uh, Breaking the back of injustice. Praying for righteousness to reign. How many of you know this is an aside, but it's right on this topic uh, I grew up in the shadow of Angola prison, uh, not far from some of, I grew up just not far from, from that area of South Louisiana. I grew up in Mississippi, just over the line. Angola prison was the most notorious prison of the South. It was a dark, terrible place in the 30s and 40s and 50s and on into the 60s. But uh, in the last decade... The kingdom of God has so infiltrated Angola prison that if you look at Angola prison today, all you'll see is spires. Those spires are the, the, they're the, the chapels. They have three chapels. They're building two more. They have chapel services going all the time. When a man on death row, uh, faces execution in Angola, uh, the, the warden holds his hand as he dies and they carve his favorite Bible verse onto his coffin uh, because they build the coffins there, and they uh, they usher him into the arms of Jesus uh, at his execution. Uh, the The warden says, whenever an mem- uh, an inmate goes to prison in Angola, he's a prisoner. But when he goes to chapel, he's no longer a prisoner. When he steps into chapel, he's in the presence of the Lord. Of course, he's in the presence of the Lord all the time, but symbolically, you know what he's saying. When he steps into the chapel. He's in another dimension, and he's not considered a prisoner there. He's totally free, spirit, soul, and body. That's, that's what the warden says. That's the kingdom of God infiltrating a state system where life and light and holiness and purity are the main atmosphere. That's the majority of that. I mean, when, a, when, a, when, a, when a prisoner goes to Angola, his biggest fear is whether he's going to get roughed up by all these Jesus people. Uh, roughed up in, in the sense of being confronted with the gospel. That's the biggest fear they've got. We'll, we'll pray for that. Make every effort you can to extend just and godly uh, ministry to prisoners. Jesus specified it, didn't he? he he's In Matthew 25, uh, he said, I, I was in prison and you, you visited me. Lord, when did we see you in prison? Well, any time you did it to the least of these, the least of these, you did it for me. Or, sadly, the negative side, any time you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. Jesus absolutely fully identifies with the weakest among us. So we pray for uh, just justice to be done for the the widow the orphan of course that includes feeding the poor it includes caring for the indigent it, it includes caring for the elderly it, it it includes making sure no one's no one's lonely no one's living uh, uh in abject emotional poverty as well as physical poverty you know Jesus said the poor you'll have with you always it, it's a characteristic of the fallen nature that poverty is going to be always a manifestation among us uh, all the all the you know all the social programs in the world uh, all the humanistic social programs socialist programs that claimed to be able to do away with poverty etc they never work they always end up costing more did you hear about the program this is an aside but I got to tell you just is an example of how the humanistic system just can never get it right the city of Paris France decided they were going to get greener by doing away with cars and making bicycles available well they were I mean, not doing away with cars but they 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 made 20,000 I think I've got the number right, 20,000 bicycles. They bought 20,000 bicycles. Now, so, typical socialist uh, mindset, they didn't, they didn't pay for the bicycles. They made the company, I think, just give them the bicycles uh, a year and a half ago so that all the citizens could just ride the bicycles. You know, they just grab a bicycle and ride it. Well, a year and a half now, a year and a half later, 19... Thousand six hundred bicycles have been stolen, destroyed, sold on the black market, uh, just destroyed for pleasure. Just they found them, they found them in the in the Seine River, you know. <laughs> uh, that's what people do when they don't have to take care of their own property, and they use the government property that the government stole from the citizens to provide for them. See, the poor you have with you always because fallen nature is always so perverted. And so, oh, by the way, the company that made the bicycles now has to replace them. So the government promised the the French people that this would be a a greener, cleaner, more economic way of doing things. Uh, But now the bicycles have to be replaced. So it's almost driven the bicycle company into bankruptcy, which, of course, the government well would over here come in and rescue, but the French government's not going to rescue the bicycle company that they destroyed. They destroyed it. They're not going to rescue it. What Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. Uh, So, the poor you have with you always, the redemption of the poor is not just to give them food so that after they eat it a few hours later, they need some more. The redemption of the poor, according to the scripture, is... That if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. That a man who doesn't take care of his family is worse than an infidel. And that you provide him the emotional, spiritual, and even financial support he needs to help him get on his own feet. So that he's, yeah, carrying his own load, but he's also having help with the part of the load he doesn't know how to carry yet. I see, one of the reasons this sounds impractical, some people say, well, how do you do that? Well, you have, you have to let troubled people into your circle of influence. That doesn't mean going and visiting them once a month. It means living in community with them. I'm not necessarily saying they come to live in your house, although some people may be called to that, and we're all called to be hospitable and to give uh, of ourselves in some areas of, of of our life, some some are able to do that more than others. But you see, individualism in America and even in uh, other parts of the West has taught us that civilization means living in your own private circle, and uh, care for other people means throwing your refuse out the window to them, uh, and maybe they they might can use it. Maybe if it's not refuse, it maybe it's at least old clothes or. You know, that kind of thing. Charity. Charity disintegrated down to mean, uh, giving away things you don't want anymore. Well, that's not the original meaning of the word charity. Uh, agape, <laughs> charity, love, uh, means much more than that. And so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, impractical if you live in Americanistic individualism that, uh, keeps people at a distance. But if you live biblically, then it becomes more uh, feasible to partner with someone who's not able to to do it on their own yet, until they learn how to do it. And I, it's not my business to sit here and, and you know preach to you about how you should do that. Uh, there's a certain element in in my life right now. Uh, if I'm going to be able to do some of the things I'm, I'm called to do right now in my life, I'm not able to do some of these things. That I used to do when when I was younger and when my life was not in the particular level of demand that it's under right now. Uh, There was a time in both mine and Mary's life where we took people in. They lived with us. Uh, We cared for them uh, as family members. And uh, we know what it's like to do that. We know what it's like for that to backfire in our face, and we know what it's like for that to be a great, great blessing. And when it backfired in our face, it was not a biblical reason for us to stop doing it just because it got unpleasant or, or disappointing. Uh, right now in our lives, this is not something that we're able to do and carry on what we are called to do. But there's been periods in our life when we weren't called to do what we're doing now, and we were therefore able to bring people into our home. So I'm not trying to give anybody a formula on how to do this. But finding ways to alleviate suffering and bring justice where there's injustice and bring equity where there has been poverty and bring wisdom where there's been ignorance and bring, most of all, the presence and love of Jesus in practical ways where there has been uh the opposite. That's what it means to make up the hedge. Uh, Just a couple of more categories before we run out of time. Remember, these are areas of prayer, things that we need to be not only praying for, but finding practical ways to act out, to flesh out. Uh, Not only praying for the emerging Prophetic church, not only praying for that church to become a caring church that cares for the weak and the indigent and the prisoner, uh, but then there's larger issues to be addressed, um, and you have to think like David standing against Goliath. You have to think. You have to think prophetically. I mean, don't you know? You got to stop thinking you're just one person. That that kind of stuff. You know, it's really weird. The, the American mindset of individuality and individualism that talks about how great the individual is, but let that same individual get put in a position where the Holy Spirit might be calling him to do something as an individual, and all of a sudden it turns from, I'm an individual and I have my rights and I can do my own thing, to I'm just one person. I can't do anything. See how, see how the devil has that working? There's a kid named Zach Hunter. Who I think when he when he wrote this book called "Be the Change," I think he was 14 years old. He's probably in his maybe 17 or 18 now. Zach was a, a middle school teenager who got a vision for raising money to fight world slavery, and that 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 ministry began with that one kid and has now turned into a worldwide movement that is affecting. Uh, millions of people. There's another little fellow whose name I don't remember. He was 10 years old. I think he lived in Philadelphia. He got a vision for feeding the poor and began with uh, gathering canned goods in his neighborhood with a wagon. And his dad was so moved at what his son was doing, he started helping him. That turned into a, 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 a food uh, providing ministry that now is shaking cities. It was a ten-year-old kid that did that. I mean, you gotta you gotta realize what we're what we're facing now in this dark time, quote unquote. Yes, it's dark for the world, but it's not dark for us. The people that dwell in darkness have seen a great light, and uh, we're not children of the night or children of the darkness. We're children of the day, and. uh you know, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, put on the helmet of salvation and strap on the, the uh, breastplate of faith and, uh, and, or breastplate of righteousness and get out there and, and stand in the dark and get some things accomplished that couldn't get accomplished before. So the last two categories I want to mention before we run out of time, and there's many, many categories, but begin to pray that in this economic shaking, even though there are elements of socialistic, anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-free um, market uh, elements that that yeah, we need to stand against those politically, and we need to pray against the forces behind them because the forces behind them are never uh, right. But in the midst of all this, I want to tell you, there's a capitalistic, demonic stronghold in medicine that has become a monolith of evil. I can't tell you the number of medical people I know personally, this is not hearsay, I know them personally, who have told me that they have had confrontations with drug salesmen from drug companies who have actually had the arrogance to come in and say, how come you're not pushing our medicine and the doctors with integrity say, because we don't believe this medicine is right for our patients. Who gave you the right to come in here practicing medicine without a license? Get out of here. But more times than not, they get wined and dined and taken on, uh, trips to Hawaii so that they will, uh, sub- prescribe medicines that are wrong for certain patients in order to pad the pockets of the, of the, uh, Drug companies. Those, that's just one example of, of evil upon evil upon evil that is perpetrated in this culture that is being shaken. And In the midst of the shaking, it's not enough for us to say, hot dog, the bad guys are getting theirs, because we're all the bad guys. We're all responsible. But what's wonderful is, in the midst of that, that there might be a transformation of how, uh, how the sick are cared for. To, uh, you're expecting too much from too little. No, I'm not expecting just the shaking of the system to produce righteousness. I'm expecting that in the shaking of the system, there will be godly people rise up with wisdom and creativity who will say, in the midst of this shaking, I'm going to stand up and bring light into darkness. Like Paul in the prison in Acts chapter 16, when the earthquake came and shook the prison down to the to the ground. Paul didn't stand up and say, hot dog, the Romans are getting crushed and I'm getting out of here. When, when the jailer got ready to kill himself because he thought all his prisoners had left, Paul said, don't, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. And see, in this, in this shaking that's going on, I want to be able to say to people, you know, we're all here. And in the midst of it, we're here to bring life and light and kingdom reality, not just stand here in the rubble and celebrate the collapse of it all. And that brings me really to the last one I wanted to speak about, and that is, uh, and I was just using big medicine as one example. There's many, many, many other examples. But in whatever example you want to think of, you pray for godly creativity and entrepreneurial wisdom to rise up and fill the gap, not only the gap of prayer, but the gap of, act- of action, the gap of ministry, the gap of creative thinking that will come in and uh, manifest an alternative economy, an alternative medical system, an alternative uh, in whatever area you want to think of. Kingdom people should be thinking in kingdom ways to manifest and produce uh, uh, ministry to people, which includes practical ministry, goods and services, in ways that outdo the world. And then finally, the last one that we'll address in just a short time, pray for the emerging and restoration of the family and the table. In this economic shakeup, one of the things that I would most long to see is that families who run like a covey of quail in every direction with all of them, with their heads stuck in their own separate headphones, eating fast food, gulping it down while they run to do whatever foolish activity they're giving themselves to compulsively that maybe there's not enough money to go off in all directions anymore, and maybe there's not enough money to uh, buy fast food. Lo and behold, people may have to work together in the same kitchen and peel some potatoes and cut up some uh, vegetables and eat the same meal at the same table at the same time. Yeah, you bet I'm saying pray for that. These are just a few examples. There's many, many more we could address, but there's lots of potential for creative good in the midst of this shaking. God bless you.